Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas and joining me is senior TechCrunch reporter and fintech extraordinaire, Marianne Azevedo. Marianne, how are you? Tell me something about your day or week. Yeah, you know what? I feel good. I've had more energy this week than I've had in a long time and it's a really good feeling. I hope I can keep it up. Heck yes. We are also joined by Becca Skutak. I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you, who do you like more, Equity or Found? Oh my God. Now that you're on both paws, <laughs> pick your favorite. <laughs> I am not answering that. Who would you bring with you to an island? Like the host? Like, do I go to an island with Daryl or do I go to an island with you guys? I don't know. <laughs> I would pick the people there's more of, but also I feel like Canadians have secrets up their sleeves. So I wouldn't blame you if you picked so Yeah, Daryl is a mysterious character. <laughs> that's really, for sure. He really is. Well, thank you both for joining me this week. There's so much to get to this show. We're going to start with three deals of the week, as always, looking at trust, fund, welcome homes, and carry first. Then we're going to go into data, theme one, looking at 22 funding data, specifically in the fintech world and looking globally. We'll get into Twitter rivals and some new social media startups, including one that got acquired by Discord. And we'll end, unfortunately, with layoffs coming from Microsoft that I think even after a year of constant layoff news surprised all of us. But I will throw it to myself for the first section because we're going to talk about Trust Fund. Is it helpful for me to give like a background on who Sofia Amoruso is? Or do you guys think everyone knows who she is? I think that would be a good idea. A good, a quick backgrounder. Yeah. So, I mean, I first heard about her because of her creation of Nasty Gal and then Girl Boss. We talked about the term Girl Boss on the show a ton, especially because it went from this empowering movement and Netflix show and book all around her brand into something that has been used to be kind of like a sexist trope, honestly, and the difficulties of being a quote unquote girl boss, which all made me very interested in breaking my exception where I don't really write about new funds to cover Sophia's newest fund called Trust Fund. She is raising up to 5 million and my story gets into it, but she is opening up 1 million of that fund into people outside of her network. So accredited investors are invited to apply to write checks between 2000 and 10000 And per her, she did that because, quote, there's a lot more women who can write $2,000 checks than there are who can write $200,000 checks, which I loved. I loved seeing her do a community raise, especially because you know someone with her network, just based on the early LPs, which include everyone from Paris Hilton to Andrew Chen. She doesn't need help closing a fund. I love when any VC tries to find a way to help more just everyday people become investors. I really applaud that. I I feel like it's very exclusionary when it's just like, oh, only the very wealthy or with the deep pockets can invest in my fund. So I think that's a that's a cool strategy on her part. She is like the best names for every project she has done, yeah. like <laughs> trust fund. And it's supposed to be like ironic and business class and nasty cow. It's like, I just, she's a branding extraordinaire. Yes. It's funny. So I didn't even have to ask her, but trust fund, obviously play on words. She said it's ironic because nobody ever handed anything to her. I think Forbes named her one of the richest self-made women in 2016. So definitely gets your attention. I think another thing that stood out was definitely she doesn't have any diversity mandate when it comes to portfolio construction. I mean, we don't ask men when they start funds necessarily if they're only going to invest in men. And I, I kind of liked her the way she answered my question when I asked if she had any diversity focuses. And she said, 
I plan to invest in men and women and everything in between. If anything, like why not invest in the privilege and ride the coattails of a dude? As a woman, why wouldn't I want to invest in the advantage that a man has? Like, feel free to publish that. It's true. (laughs) I loved that quote. Yeah, me too. I mean, she's refreshingly honest. And I think also it's kind of bold that she's looking to back digital consumer companies because I know right now consumer can be a really challenging space. And yeah, I like her humor, the, the whole trust fund name. Yeah, it's just she's been through a lot. Let's be honest, right? She's had a lot of negative publicity over the years. And she's proving to be very resilient. She's like, I'm not going to let all that get me down. I'm I'm here. I'm an investor now. And, and so I do I really admire that. I think sometimes the media can be and we are the media, but <laughs> we can be a little bit right hard on people. And so I really like that. She's like, oh, f- you all I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah, right. doing my thing. And you know, I'm going to do it well. And so I'm going to be eager and curious to see how all this turns out. At least one of her portfolio companies, as you know, Marianne, could use her advice. One of her portfolio companies is Pipe, which I know you've reported extensively <laughs> about just like as a company that's going through turbulence, to say the least. So, you know, kind of appreciate that she's being upfront about it. But more to come, the fund still hasn't been closed yet. And they are accepting, like I said, accredited investors. But I want to pivot to a startup that has had no trouble raising. It closed $29 million this week. Marianne, what has brought you back into writing about the world of prop tech? Yeah, I mean, first of all, as I've mentioned before, I used to cover real estate. So I still have like a really strong interest in the subject. And honestly, our readers seem to as well. This particular story caught my eye because of the founding team, to be honest with you. The founding team is made up of the co-founders of DigitalOcean, which is a cloud computing company that went on to become a publicly traded one that I think is doing pretty well, to be honest with you. So I was just, I was kind of fascinated by that pivot, right? Like a lot of people become serial entrepreneurs and they and they found companies very often though they're in a similar space or industry, but like they went from cloud computing to prop tech. So they've raised $29 million Series A for Welcome Homes. And what Welcome Homes does is really just kind of help people buy land, build a home, and do it quick and easy online. And so the the thing, and I'll say this and I'm going to shut up, but the thing that I found really interesting, and I think one of you also mentioned when we were in our script, is their lead investor kind of compared them to a Tesla or an Apple. Yeah. And that it has the potential to tap into an appetite for productized branded homes. I think that's a really important distinction right now because people like being able to just get online and say, I want to get this, I want to get that, and this is how much it's going to cost, this is when it's going to happen, and be done with it. And in fact, their founder said they found early on that people actually didn't want as many choices as they thought. And they really just kind of went easy, like, this is what it can look like. This is this is a model that we can do for you. And so last thing I'm going to say to this point, and then I really will shut up. I'm even more interested and intrigued by this because after seven years, I am looking to purchase a car and it really pisses me off <laughs> that the dealers, no, seriously, the dealers that I have talked to are telling me, A, they don't have a car on the lot that I can test drive or even look at. What? Yeah, I'm ex- yeah. Yet I'm expected to put down a deposit that I may or may not get back for a car that costs a significant amount of money in my opinion, and then they're telling me they're going to charge thousands over MSRP and a dealer ad for a bunch of sh- that I don't want. So I am infuriated. And while I'm not a huge fan of Tesla, I'm not a huge fan of Elon Musk, rather, I am definitely looking more at Tesla's because I like the fact that I can go onto their website, build my car, know what it's going to cost, and it's straightforward. So Welcome Homes has a similar model. No, just one-upping that car story that happened to me over the summer. It's so ridiculous that they're they're like, oh, yeah, put a deposit down and you'll test drive the car for the first time when it's yours and you've like already paid for it, which is 
crazy. It's insane. And it's so funny because like, I think there's a difference between consumers being lazy and just like not being able to handle all the options out there. And then there's like a minimum viable experience that people expect in 2023. And it sounds like with cars, that might be a separate startup idea. I mean, clearly Tesla is answering that. It's all I hear about in suburban New Jersey right now is how seamless it is to buy and drive in a Tesla. Right. Getting back into the prop tech world, though, I, I am curious, like, do you think that going from cloud computing to prop tech is seen as a competitive advantage because they were all around software before? Or is I guess, is Welcome Homes touching a lot of like physical homes or are they mostly doing the software that helps you get to a physical home? Yeah, good question. They're actually kind of this, it's being phrased by the investors, uh, this new thing called like a Neo Builder. Uh-oh, I'm triggered by the prefix Neo. <laughs> right, like Neo Bank, Neo Builder. Yeah, it has a negative connotation a little bit. So I have to kind of get away from that. But yeah, they're more of a three-sided marketplace, really. And they're just, so they're not the ones actually doing the building. They're just kind of facilitating the process. And their technology can help people like do things with imaging to figure out certain configurations and, and things like that. And I asked Alec Hartman, one of the co-founders, like, how, I mean, is was this a big stretch for you? And he said, really, it's, even though they're very different industries, the whole point is simplicity. Both startups were focused on making something more simple for users. So from that perspective, you know, they, they seem to have nailed it down in digital ocean. We'll be paying attention to see how it goes with Welcome Homes. Yeah, I think the other quick note to add is that as you put in your story, there's been a bunch of companies that are trying to address the housing shortage as always. In November, Atmos emerged from South with 12.5 million. And in February of last year, Hobound raised 75 million. So there's lots of capital going into it. Becca, before we move on to your deal of the week, I am just curious since, I mean, I'm not a homeowner. Marion is a homeowner. I don't know if you're a homeowner. No. I'm honored you would even think that. No, I mean, I was like, I'm not going to assume because some people our age are just like out here buying homes. But it's true. <laughs> in a world where you're buying a home, are you like, does it feel like you would do something online? Are you going to do it the old fashioned way? Have you thought about this at all? Or is it like, we're, we're not thinking about it yet? I haven't thought about it too much. But I have this like grand plan of like buying land and building a vacation home on it Ooh. before I like buy like a regular residence just because I feel like buying in New York is crazy. I'd probably want to buy somewhere else first. And I don't know, I like know exactly what I want. So thinking of a website where you could like look at a limited amount of options, because I feel like everyone goes into this process being like pretty specifically knowing what they want, yeah. which I think is why the Tesla model works so well online. Mm -hmm. So I could definitely see this working. I mean, if you know what you want, you go on and they have it. That's pretty win-win. Right. So I definitely can see like the use case here. That said, Marianne, I'm sure you know a startup that will help Becca do exactly what she just said as her dream. Like, I feel like there's definitely a company that wants people to build their dream homes with their three-sided marketplace. But let's end with you, Becca, on your deal of the week, gaming. Yeah, so we're looking a little bit into an African gaming startup called Carry First, which just raised $27 million from Bitcraft Ventures, as well as Andreessen Horowitz. And so this one is pretty interesting. There's a lot of interesting notes here. It's a gaming company, which I feel like we talked a lot about when we were planning the script. Gaming has been like so hot, less hot, so hot, less hot over the last few years that it's really interesting to see sort of this big round come out so early in the year. I know from covering the space just a little bit that people always forget, and I didn't know this either, that video gaming is a bigger industry than music and movies, and I believe TV shows combined. Wow. That is such good context. I did not know that. It's a huge industry. Plus, the startup's based in Africa, which in this context is really interesting. I feel like I only have been hearing about fintech startups coming out of Africa, but... 
Carrie first, Spiping a Gaming Company, does have a fintech spin as well. So the company both makes mobile games, but it also helps outside game companies do payments. So it has like a payment layer that you can work with both other gaming companies, and they hope to roll that out to more companies in the future, which I thought was really interesting because that's a great way to sort of bring outside companies, bring outside success stories into that market in a way they probably couldn't before. But just a lot of interesting threads here. I was curious what you guys thought. They're two leads, or I guess they're lead Bitcraft and then Andreessen. It's interesting to me that they're both globally focused, but have San Francisco roots. Because I mean, just in general, we know that the stages beyond seed are difficult to raise in across all geographies right now, but I think especially internationally. So I feel like it's a bullish sign. And I immediately thought about Andrew Chen from Andreessen because he kind of backed like Clubhouse and Substack, and now he's like the gaming partner. And so I don't know, I could totally see this being more of a future for US-based VCs. That was my takeaway. Marion, what were you reading from it? This company seems like it has a lot going for it. Like Becca mentioned, it has the different revenue models, revenue streams that it can um, build out over time. So that's that's promising. It's all of its eggs are not in one basket. I really like you know seeing something out of fintech. Also, to your point, Becca, that that's doing well in Africa and you know the global interest. It is notable. They're doing a good job with partners. Like they've partnered with Riot Games to bring their games to Africa and and accept their payments. So it feels like there's a lot of things that are moving in the right direction. And $27 million right now is is pretty good. I'm impressed. It is a pre-series B round, which is kind of sus, but... That was the one thing that gave me pause. I think they raised like a series A, they raised another round and then a pre-B. But I mean, hey... The company sounds cool. They're like landing good partnerships. Right. In today's market, they're raising $27 million. I'm not going to dive too far into that. Right? Like hard stop from there. But connect the dots between this and I guess what's generally happening in the African venture capital landscape, Becca. Absolutely. And I know you touched on this a bit in your Monday show, but mm-hmm. despite everyone having a bad year pretty much for venture last year, Africa did not. That ecosystem actually saw a better year, more funding than in years past, which is super exciting, especially coming from an emerging market. But I know this company, because it gets a little bit into that fintech space, fintech deals in Africa were also up this year, which is interesting. But that is not in line with sort of what we're seeing across the board. So I know, Marianne, I know you have some fun data there about kind of what is the state of fintech right now as we head further into 2023. Yeah, yeah. I dug into CB Insights' state of fintech report for 2022. Wow, it feels like a long time ago already. God's work, though, Marianne. Thank you for writing that piece. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, yeah, I dug into it, you know, and, and the data wasn't shocking. What we saw is obviously fintech funding was down globally by like 46%, still up 52% compared to 2020. When it comes to Africa, though, what stood out that it was the only major region to see fintech deals climb compared to 2021. Africa saw a record 227 deals in 2022. That's up 25%. However, funding amount, the dollars was lower. And, and you're wondering, well, God, how come there's a record number of deals and went way up, yet funding amount was lower? Well, that's because 89% of the deals in Africa were early stage, which is a lot. So, you know, more deals, earlier stage, obviously, but still, I mean, still a good sign for the region. It was That was a five-year high for the continent, the number of early stage deals and the highest among all regions in the world. But in terms of fintech generally, I 
I mean, none of it, again, none of it was shocking. Fintech had a very rough year in 2022. It's been sobering. God, the, there was only five unicorn births in the fourth quarter of 2022. What a different world. I mean, and I, I know your headline, I think, it summed it up well. Fintech in 2022, a story of falling funding, fewer unicorns, and insurtech M&A. But to ask even more, like, did you feel like after that reading that it was mixed messages on how 2023 will look or extended hangover? I'm not, not going to ask you to do all your predictions, but I am kind of just curious what the vibe check is to quote our, our wonderful Dominic. I do think we're going to have an extended hangover. Honestly, I, I think that's going to continue into this year. I know global venture funding was down overall. It was 35% drop 415 billion compared to 2021. And like globally, fintech did see a bigger drop, right? Uh, 46%. I think that's significant. I think we're still going to be seeing a shakeout this year and just probably continued consolidation. I was surprised by the InsureTech M&A activity. Yeah. The, one of the things in the report was that InsureTech M&A exits surged by 40%. Last year, which was surprising to me, considering so many companies that went public in that sector have not been doing that great. Totally. I mean, and I think before we move on to our other theme, I wanted to spend a second and talk about the venture capital panel that Connie had at her event this week. Yes. She had a good piece about how a lot of the fintech VCs are saying that fintechs need to fix their business models, which is, yes, something we know. But I kind of appreciated that she highlighted someone saying that it's still early days for consumer fintech. I mean, the demand and desire from the consumer still exists for newer and better alternatives to traditional financial institutions. There was a weird Bank of America and Zelle hack slash blip this week, for lack of specific wording. And I, I guess like I hadn't heard someone say that it's early in fintech in a long time. So that was my big takeaway from her piece. And just the general vibe of VCs is obviously it's not all doom and gloom, even if funding, to your point, Marianne, slows. It's not all doom and gloom, but that same panel also brought up something that's very true, that, that the lending startups are particularly going to be struggling right now. And a lot of that has to do, and maybe this is what they're referring to about business models. A lot of them had a lot of loose underwriting models. And now they're, you know, with the economy in a very different state than it was about a year and a half ago, they're struggling. So it was fascinating, really. And it also touched on like how incumbents and are they going to see this as an opportunity and, and all of that. So, you know, I, I nerded out over that a little bit. <laughs> I still think we're going to continue to see like more partnership between yeah. incumbents and startups and, and again, more consolidation, because I really think honestly, and I don't care if people disagree with me on this, I think that there's room for all the players. And I think there needs to be more working together because there is some things that incumbents just do better, to be honest with you. And then some things that fintechs may do better. Better. So why does it have to be either or? There's got to be a way that we can all just live together here and, and like exist and, and combine forces and make it a better financial environment for everyone. It's definitely ego. Like I know you were asking rhetorically, but I think about this all the time. Like I think people want to be the individual that wins versus partner. And Becca, before we move on to the social media theme, you had an analysis on TC Plus recently, use code equity that was titled, does it ever make more sense to raise a structured round overtaking a valuation cut? And I guess that fits into our conversation conversation on ego too, because who's ever going to admit that they want to take a structured round versus valuation cut versus do anything than raise a round at a higher valuation and become a unicorn? <laughs> yeah, I know. And I think we'll actually see this. This is like particularly relevant to the fintech space. Since we haven't seen, even though funding's been down, we haven't. I mean, you see the big guys like Stripe and Plaid, they've definitely taken sort of valuation cuts, but you haven't really seen it down low by like the companies that really hover the line. I didn't realize until yesterday, I was looking at sort of the CB Insights unicorn tracker for a different story, 56% of unicorn companies sit below $2 billion 
in evaluation. So yeah, you think of the stripes, the plaids, the chimes, but the majority of companies actually toe the line. Wow. So that ties into this piece of does it ever actually make more sense to raise a structure around over evaluation cut? The two lawyers I spoke to said that, well, generally a down round is a cleaner sort of financial exercise and kind of will be better off down the road. They were saying in a market like this, say you're the first neobank who's going to lose their unicorn status. They're like, there's a lot of reason to raise a structure around then to save image. And that can be huge. And not just for, say, oh, image in the media, but like hiring. Because they're saying if you raise a huge down round, your valuation gets slashed. Someone who a really great engineer who maybe was thinking of applying to your company might not. That's interesting. So I think this will be particularly relevant in fintech because we haven't seen some of those big drastic changes yet at some of these companies that are closer to that billion dollar line. I mean, the big players, yes, you cut your valuation, but you're still worth a ton of money. So it's a little harder to kind of imagine that really swaying someone on thinking the company, like, does someone really not apply to a job because the company's only worth 10 billion? Right. I kind of have a hard time believing that. Yeah. I think it would totally be a story for us if like, insert company here, lost unicorn status. So like, and and that's not just like you said, I'm glad you said it. It's not just about like news and like rep. It's like hiring and growth probably for that company. It's like perception. Right. And also employees stock options and compensation and sort of morale within the company too. Because I know like it's been, I don't want to say definite because it's not at that scale yet, but Twitter is entirely VCs telling you to take a down round. And I think for most VCs, the down round is the best outcome Mm -hmm. at the end of the day for future funding, especially if they do believe the company will be successful. But from talking to these lawyers, because originally that's why I went into it. So I was like, that must be the only like, like, would you ever do a structured round? It sounds like a down round is the better option always. And they were like, well, it's not only about the VCs, which is definitely true. And even the founders, the employees, they also said customers, you take a huge valuation cut, your customers may not feel as confident in you and stuff like that. So I think fintech, I think we'll be grappling with this a lot this year, more so than some of the other sectors. Becca, can you just quickly tell us what it is a structured round as opposed to a down round? Because, you know, I talked to Hans Tung from GGV Capital, and he was all for the down round. He's like, basically saying, oh, it's better than shutting down. And so I'm just thinking maybe not everybody understands the difference between the two. Absolutely. So structured round is kind of like a blanket term. Structure could be like a lot of different things. So structure could be really not founder friendly, really not company friendly of say an investor wanted to put in like a liquidation preference of say 2x, 3x, meaning that when the company exits or winds down, they make back three times the capital they put in before anyone else gets paid anything. So that's a good way to kind of ensure founders end up with nothing at the end of the day. And so some stuff like that, like that's generally not great for the company as a whole. But there are some like light terms with structure. Like I know it's the both the lawyers, you can get really creative with the terms here. One of the lawyers mentioned that you can, um, you can say, oh, we'll do this type of structure. But if the company performs to this level, the structure's gone. Or oh, if the company exits at higher than this valuation, we get some extra warrants or some extra equity. So they end up making more money on top of what they would. But if the company doesn't, it almost doesn't matter. Or it's a little bit of a hit to the founder, but not nearly as bad. So structure can be a whole range of things. Of course, both lawyers mentioned VCs generally don't come to the table asking for really founder-friendly structure. Yeah. But they've definitely seen it. 
So there's a whole like range of stuff here. That's why it's so nuanced. And that's why I think the point of the story was just that all the VCs being like, just do a down round. The lawyers were like, sometimes we like everything. Right. One of the lawyers said they do the Excel. They fill up a spreadsheet. They do the outcomes for each potential option. And she was like, sometimes it surprises companies that adding a little structure actually is a better outcome for them in the end than a down round. So it's like, it's so nuanced. Let me just say, I am glad you're on the show because it is indeed the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. There we go. How do we not make that joke more? Also, I just feel like we need to use it. Very true, honestly. (laughs) No, but thank you for that balance because I think we need more of it. But startups that don't need to worry about raising are the startups that exited, which brings us to our next theme. Discord acquired Gas, which is a compliments-based social media app for teens. I thought it might be helpful for me to walk through kind of how it works. It basically uses anonymous compliments to build someone up or, quote, gas them up. And basically, for people who download it, after you sync up your location and contacts, users can anonymously vote for their friends in a round of polls that refresh every hour. And from our story, the compliments and the polls are everything from compliments to friendly superlatives to, quote, flirtatious confessions. Discord bought it for an undisclosed price. I did try figuring out the price, but we don't know that. (laughs) Becca, you mentioned like you might be looking into it more. Like, did you end up finding anything about gas or anything stand out to you about the app? Well, I think what stood out to me the most is that it's compliment based. And I feel like we, when I was in middle and high school, there was a lot of these sort of comment based apps and sort of anonymous. They definitely weren't compliments. I don't know if I ever saw a compliment on Ask FM or Formspring. Or Ask FM. There was never <laughs> a compliment. Yik yak. Everything was just so negative. Yeah. So it's interesting to see that not only that gas has done so well, but it's a positive social media, which I feel we talked about this a little bit, I think, in the TechCrunch Slack channel yesterday, too, about how a lot of teens use existing social media platforms, but none of them are built for teenagers. They're built for adults by adults. So it's like things don't always like Instagram, the whole disaster with kind of teen girls and self-image and stuff. They didn't plan for that because they didn't build the app for teenagers. True. So it's really good to see that there's movement in this space where people are building social media apps that are built for this demographic. And in a way that seems like it's going to make a really positive force. I mean, being a teen is hard enough. This is sounds like a great sort of service. Yes. Um. So I'm a, I'm a mother of a teen. And obviously, social media use worries me just because of the comparisons and the effect it has on teen self-esteem. So definitely, I'm all for the positive spin here. I, I love that. I love people getting complimented. I think compliments are underrated, especially sincere ones. Why not give them out? It, it helps make people feel better. And there's nothing wrong with that. The only concern I had with this <laughs> is what if you're a person on this app, but you don't really get any compliments? Of course, I would think of this, oh, but like, yeah, you know, what if you're not getting a lot of compliments? Does that make you feel feel worse? So that's like my only, only worry, but still overall, super bullish on the concept, super happy that it's out there and that it exists. And I hope it only improves self-esteem in teens. And and it's not the only one out there, right? There's another one I think Mike Butcher wrote about, Slay. Slay. It's a German social app, very similar to Gas, and announced a 2.63 million pre-seed fund round led by Excel. I think the teens who built it said that the difference between them and Gas is that they're not relying on anonymous Q&A because that carries a high cyberbullying risk they see. And, and for them, it's like all compliments from people that they know, even if the identity can be hidden at times. So, I mean, interesting. And Marion, I'm, I'm, do you know if your teen uses gas? Has it come up? My guess is no. Okay. But I'll, I'll ask. I'm so curious. Like, 
Because you, you know why? It's because according to Sensor Tower, gas reached 7.4 million installs. It's a lot. <laughs> since launching in summer 2022, not that long ago, which is wild. It's a lot. I mean, and then the Slay app that, you know, a lot of VCs are, are putting money into is also growing quite well. I mean, this is, is this a new trend? Like, this is a trend I can get behind. You know what's a new trend, though, is naming things that are so cringy Gen Z references. I know. Gas and slay. Fire is going to be next. Like, what? I didn't even think about that, but it works. I mean, it does work, right? You, the point comes across. Yeah, I know. I hate that it does, <laughs> but it does. It's like too good. Yeah. <laughs> it's too simple. It works too well. Oh, it didn't take long enough. The theme really happened after our producer, Teresa, noted how there's kind of been this like, new wave of companies in social media. We also talked on the Monday show about T2, a Twitter rival raising its first outside funding. And just as a sum up, no, it's just been kind of cool to see somewhat of a response to Twitter's demise. But also like, I remember when Clubhouse was popping off, everyone was like, it's a new moment for consumer social. And then Clubhouse went through struggles. And I was kind of like, okay, so is it a new moment or not? And anyways, I'm, I'm glad Discord gave some acquisition energy in the space. I'm glad we're seeing pre-seed rounds that are reportable. And I guess that ends the the positive news section for this podcast. Aww. Should we talk about Microsoft? <laughs> Let's do it. Microsoft, back in the news, it confirmed layoff rumors. And basically, they've cut 10,000 jobs, nearly 5% of its global workforce. This comes after a number of layoffs, but it's its largest. So July 2022, Microsoft cut less than 1%. And that was news. So five times as much that we saw this week. And then August 2022, we saw an undisclosed number of cuts. I mean, Microsoft is kind of like, I'm trying to think of a Gen Z reference, actually. They're like Regina George. There we go. <laughs> That's kind of a millennial reference. I think they're a little less mean than Regina George. Fair, fair. Very not mean. But it's a big round of layoffs from a company that a lot of people use to decide policy, I think, because they're one of the stable ones. And Becca, you know that they've been in the news for, for positive things recently. So the negative thing kind of came as a surprise to me personally. No, especially with all the news. And we just talked about this on the show literally last week about their big possible $10 billion investment into open AI. And I know it's very easy when you see stuff like that to be like, well, if they have this money, like, why are they making the layoffs? I totally, we get that companies have budgets and money is <laughs> dedicated to certain parts of the business. We get that. But I don't know. Something about this just feels kind of weird. And I know there's been stuff coming out today that this news comes out right after the company hosted like a really exclusive concert at the Davos conference. Oh, I didn't know and this. And it's just, oh yeah, they hired Sting, which I mean, that sounds lovely, but <laughs> I'm not, I, I'm not invited. Um, but <laughs> so it just feels, it always just feels weird when companies make cuts, especially this big. And then everything else is like, no, this is not only business as usual, but progress. We're investing in other areas. We're paying for these extras and stuff like that. I mean, like you look at Twitter and they have these layoffs and they're not like auctioning off the office. Yeah. So this Microsoft news feels a little different than that. The other different thing about it is that the layoffs are apparently running now through the end of Q3 2023, which does that mean there's going to be a steady drip of people getting emails that ruin their livelihoods? That's miserable. Right? That would be a horrible feeling to be just wondering all the time if you're going to be laid off. Yeah. To drag it out like that seems cruel. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know that layoffs are going to continue this year. I, I'll just run through a few recent. We saw Go Mechanic, ShareChat, Coinbase, ScaleAI, Greenlight, Blend Labs, and Lending Club. And maybe we shouldn't end the show with layoffs in the future. Does anyone have good news for before I say goodbye? <laughs> That's a good point. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't necessarily have good news to report, to be honest, other than let's just keep up our positive energy. And you know what? Things may look a little bit 
bleak, but there's that cheesy quote that I mentioned in my newsletter, but really like we can't always control what's happening around us. We can control how we react. So I think that applies to the startup and the tech world too. I mean, things may look pretty like bummer like Mm -hmm. these days, but you just got to make, what is it? Lemonade out of lemons. Oh my God, Mary, I'm going to ask you to end each episode with a quote now. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you get. (laughs) My children would be like totally just, oh, they would be horrified if they heard this. Marion, thank you so much for being an amazing co-host. Becca, same to you. You can follow all of us on Twitter and Instagram, and we'll link all of our handles in the show post. And as always, we're at EquityPod on Twitter. And if you are a silent change maker in tech, emphasis on silent, I want to be the first person that's ever interviewed you. Equity Wednesday wants to bring you on the show. So feel free to DM at EquityPod on Twitter. We'll throw maybe a Google form out there soon enough. But in the meantime, go there and use code equity for 50% off annual passes of TC Plus to support all of us and our work. But other than that, we will chat with you next week. Bye. Equity Fridays are hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter, Natasha Mascarenas, TechCrunch senior reporter, Becca Skutak, and TechCrunch senior reporter, Marianne Azevedo. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Picovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thanks so much for listening and we'll be back next week.